In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone who has their hand on their heart that, that Lord, would you touch our hearts today? Would you, Holy Spirit, so invade not only this room, but invade through the internet, invade not only the room, but our hearts, our minds. Give us a different perspective, perhaps, than we have had that sees you so distant and ancient as if you could not possibly understand the mess we are in. In fact, today, Lord, would you, you come into our mess because you do understand. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I wrote something down I, I, I want to read because I felt when I was writing these few words, I felt the presence, I felt the anointing, I felt that these are not just my words, these are words God is giving me. Have you ever been in a mess? Have you had times in your life that the mess you are in has you at a quandary as to finding your way out? Don't raise your hand. But almost all of us have been there at points in our life, and some are there today. Life can be messy. At this time of the year when life is supposed to be at its best, when your nights are anything but silent, when you sing about peace on earth and goodwill towards men, but you find peace in your head, heart, and home to be missing, is there any way that a holy, perfect God could possibly understand my anything but perfect life? This is what I want you to get today. I want you to understand that although we come into this time of singing, and I love everything about it, please hear me, but there are people who then sense that their life is messy and it shouldn't be. Everybody else is wonderful. Everybody, everybody else is the Hallmark movie that within two hours everything works out. That's including commercials, by the way. How do I identify with, with my messy life and a holy, perfect God? How could he possibly know anything about the pain of being here? And if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we, we, we can put on a show, we can pretend, we can fake it until we make it. He gets it. 700 years before the Messiah was born, the prince of the prophets, Isaiah, prophesied this in Isaiah 53, verse 5. Speaking of the Messiah, he said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. What does that mean? The Messiah, God in flesh, felt pain. He felt rejection. He, he felt what we so often feel as human beings. In fact, today, I, I want to look in Matthew chapter 1. I'm using the New Living Translation. But I want, I want us to look at something that, in all honesty, when I had never read the Bible growing up. We had a Bible. A part of it was missing. I still remember we had one of those big family Bibles that as much as our family moved, that Bible moved with us. It was more of a good luck charm than anything you read. Some of you grew up that way. Some of you know what I mean by that. 
We didn't read the Bible. We didn't go to church. I, I was never in church until I dated my girlfriend, who is now my wife. I was never in church in my life. And, and, and so I had never read the Bible. I had never been to Sunday school, catechism, anything until I met Jesus at the age of 19. So then I began to read my Bible. Well, where do you begin to read the Bible? Well, I tried Genesis 1, and, and I got stuck in the first couple of chapters with names I couldn't pronounce. So I thought, well, okay, I'll go to the New Testament. So I went to the first book of the New Testament, which is the book of Matthew, and I began to read. And I felt messed up again. Let's read it. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. I didn't know who Abraham was or Isaac. At that point in my life, I'd never met. I knew that we had a president named Abraham. I, I didn't know have any friends named Abraham. And I knew no one named Isaac, but I'm reading. Stay with me now, because there's a lesson here. Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Now, I didn't know who any of these dudes were. Now, you get mad at me like, oh, you're so irreligious. You're, you know, lightning bolt. No, no, I'm just being honest. God wants us to be honest. I didn't know who I'm reading. I'm reading a book. I'm expecting a good book grabs you. First page sucks you in. This first page is not sucking me in. Be mad at me if you will. I'm just being honest. I had never been to Sunday school. I had never been to church. I had I, I met Jesus at a new birth rally at Hartford, Ohio, and I'm now reading this thing called the Bible, and it's like reading Greek to me. But I didn't stay there. But let's go back for a moment. In verse 5, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now see, some of you, as we're going through this today, you, you know the end of the story. You're, I'm even saying names, and you're like, because you know the scriptures, you're like, oh yeah, I know something, I know, and we're going to come back to that. Verse 7 says, Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, and Abijah was the father of Asa. Now I'm going to skip verses 8 through 15 and go right to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The word Messiah is the anointed one, the promised one. Verse 17 says, all those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David. 
and 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, when the Jews were taken to Babylon, it was called the exile, and then 14 generations, 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Now, that's verse 17. So, okay, what does that mean? We're going to come back to that. We're going to look at some of these names because you have a family tree. None of you were born under a rock. Amen? You all have a family tree. In fact, how many of you have ever done your DNA test? Any of you? Wave at me if you've done your DNA test. Okay, my wife and I both done that. I was shocked when I spit in that tube and sent it in. That's what you do. I was surprised because I've spoken in Sweden and Norway and Denmark a number of times. I'm 28% Scandinavian, had no idea. None. I knew I was Welsh, 52% Welsh. Now I know, but you, you should do that. I don't get a, anything for that, but, but, but here's what I want to say. Listen, there's not a person listening to me that in your family tree, there's embarrassment. Oh, you can lie about it if you want. Maybe you're not even aware of it. But you got, you got some stuff going on in your family tree that you're like, mm, you know, yeah, that uncle or that grandpa or that great-great whatever. I knew nothing about my family background. And when my dad had died, because my mom had died earlier, when my dad had died, and my dad knew very little. My dad was the youngest of 12 kids. And his dad died when he was 12. So my dad knew very, very little about family. So I had to get onto DNA, or not, not the DNA, but the Ancestry.com thing and do research to find out stuff about my family. Now, most of it was good. But I had also talked with my uncle out in California and, and I sat down with him and I said, what? He had done a little bit of research. I said, tell me some stuff about the Thomases. Oh, did he tell me some stuff. Man, if it, if it was true, I've got some people in my family tree that are a bit embarrassing. But, but let's go right on to verse 18 because we've just read verse 17, verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Most of you know that in Hebrew custom, the engagement was the legal part of the marriage. So it wasn't like some people get engaged and break the engagement, get engaged to somebody else, break that engagement, and it's, it's just a ring and it's a bit of a commitment. No, this was like the legal part. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about that next week. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, 
which said, look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Last verse, verse 25. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Jesus was a very common name. Yeshua, Joshua, very common name. And so that name Jesus was a common name. That's why, but Emmanuel was not a common name. Nobody would have been so bold as to call their, their child God with us. And so here we see a story that seems, oh, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, it's so, oh my, I love, it's messy. It's messy. The Messiah could have been born to this really amazing, huh, let's choose a queen in a castle. It needs to be a miraculous birth for God to be the father. It cannot be a normal birth. It, it must be, in fulfillment of a scripture, a virgin. But Mary? Mary's a, a young teenage Jewish girl from an obscure family. We, we know nothing about Mary's family, except that they were probably poor and unknown. Why in the world would Almighty God, all wisdom, all grace, all brilliance, choose Mary? We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't choose Mary. We'd choose somebody really well-known because this is God coming in the form of a baby to this earth to die for our sins. Let's make it big. Let's make it colossal. Let's let it go viral. God's ways are not our ways. Let's look at the family tree. We're gonna talk more about the messiness. I just gotta say one thing. See, we read this and we think that we think these people actually had halos. When, when Mary put yourself, all of you ladies, put yourself in Mary's shoes, trying to explain to mom and dad and Joseph and others that, yeah, I know I'm pregnant. It's showing that I'm pregnant. But it's God. See, some of you, read, you don't read the Bible as if you don't put yourself in. You read it from a distance. But when you put yourself in, especially if you're a lady, imagine trying to explain to dad and mom, no, really, this angel came. A, a what came? An angel. An angel came where? I, I, our house. I didn't see any angel. Did you see any angel? What, what happened next? An angel spoke? I didn't, I didn't hear anything. Did you hear anything? Wow. Okay, 
back to the genealogy to understand full disclosure. In full disclosure, we start with Abraham. That's the first name that's listed. You know the story of Abraham. He's the father of the faithful. We love him. But Abraham is 75 years old when God calls him to be the father of nations. He's, he, his dad is an idol worshiper. How's that for your family tree? Yeah. Abraham's daddy worshiped idols. God calls Abraham and calls him to do what? Calls he and his wife Sarah to become the the father and mother, if you will, of faith. They're old. They're past having kids. They cannot have children. Sarah is past menopause. She cannot produce a child. And so God says, okay, I'm going to begin this, this walk of faith. I'm going to bring about my Savior, the Messiah, is going to come through this line. Who should I start with? A 75-year-old man with no children. Does that make sense to you? It makes no sense to me. But because we know it, we just sort of take it for granted. There's hope for us. Because there's not a family here that you don't have some things in your family that embarrass you. Oh, you, you do good. You don't highlight it. You don't embarrass them by talking about it. But there's not a family here that you don't wonder, how does God even understand my mess? And then, so Abraham and Sarah are old, and then they have a child, Isaac. Do you remember Isaac being raised up? Do you remember he had an older brother, half-brother? What was his name? Ishmael. What did Ishmael do to Isaac? He bullied him. Read it in Genesis. He picked on his brother to the point that Isaac's mom... Sarah said, get rid of Ishmael and Hagar, his mother. They get kicked out. You say, is this something you saw on the news? No, this is in the Bible. Here, listen, there's a reason I'm telling you this. Because some of you think that everything here is like sanctified, purified, pasteurized, homogenized. No, it's messy. And God chose intentionally, say intentionally, to show us the mess. Intentionally. He doesn't want us to be religious robots looking as if we're perfect and holier than thou. He wants to identify with our mess. He wants us to know that, listen, I'm not distant from you when you're in a messy place in life. I understand. He got bullied by his brother. Then then he worked real hard to get his wife and had an uncle, Laban, who was a liar and a cheat. Then we have Jacob. Jacob was a homebody who connived with his mom and ripped off his brother from the birthright. Oh, what a family I'm born into. 
These are the good ones. Come on, church. Please don't, don't get religious on me today. This time of the year, I know what happens in church. I've been around a long time. You get the spirit of kolache on you. I've watched it for decades now. We'd love to blame the devil. No, it's the kolache. It's all those carbs y'all been eating, and now it's Sunday morning church, and you're like, man, you're talking to a man who likes carbs, I'm telling you. I know the spirit of Kalachi when I see it. He says, God could have brought the Messiah to this planet. Let's choose a queen. Let's choose a palace. Let's choose rich, well-known people. Let's choose a rabbi. Let's choose religious. No. He chooses people that are so normal. They're human. They're messed up. They got. Listen, you need to understand there's a difference between being human and being sinful. Sometimes we mess that up. We, we think that humanity that we're all a part of, that every mistake equals sin. And that's not true, but that's a different message. Judah is the next one in the family line. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Well, well, you know, when I read that, I was just trying to pronounce the names, but then I started studying. Whoa, this is not good. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron was the father of Ram. Perez was born out of a relationship between his mother and her father-in-law. His biological father was his grandfather. Oh, come on now. Come on, read it! Some of, I, ooh, I hate religious spirits. Some of you look at me like, oh, bless God. Bless their little hearts. Oh, I want to shake you. See, we got a world out there that thinks that the Bible is just some religious book of do-gooders. And God intentionally said, I want to get down into life. I want to get down and get dusty and dirty and feel what you feel and experience what you experience. We're talking about the genealogy of the Messiah. You thought your family would, you know, suddenly your family looked pretty good. I'm serious. Suddenly it's like, oh, okay. There's, there's, there's hope for us. You know the story that, you say, well, you know, it really didn't count because, you know, she was pretending to be a prostitute. Oh, well, that makes it so much better. Read it. I think it's Genesis 38. Read it. Oh, Lord have mercy. I didn't choose to put this in the Bible. God chose to put this in the Bible. Wow. Man, if I'm, maybe someday I'll write a book about our lives. Hey, y'all ain't getting this stuff. 
No, I'm sorry. It, it, listen, don't, don't you go mocking me. If you wrote, a, you wrote a book about your life and your family, there's things you're going to leave out too. Don't you, don't you mess with me. There's stuff you're leaving out. You're, there's relatives you don't want to embarrass. Come on. <laughs> God just, full disclosure. Full disclosure. Here it is. Blood, guts, ugly. His, his father was his grandfather. What? Yeah, his biological father was also his grandfather. Oh, that's nasty. That's just, that's wrong. That's just sick. Yeah. I'm talking Bible. I'm not talking David Thomas theology. Wow. There's hope for us. Simon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Mm-hmm. We're coming back to Rahab. <laughs> we always come back to Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. Eleven times in Scripture, Rahab is mentioned. Five times she's referred to as Rahab the what? The harlot. Rahab was a harlot, a prostitute. There's other words I could use that I'm not going to use on Sunday morning. But that's, you, you say, but you know, she had that faith. Remember the whole Jericho thing and the red rope? Oh yeah, I remember that. But she was a harlot. Can I tell you, we... We judge people on the external and we put X's over them that like, well, God could never use them. Listen, Rahab would have been one of those scarlet letter ladies. There's no way on earth God's going to use a prostitute, a harlot. Oh, yeah, I can get into what brought about all of that in that day and age with no social system, no security, no way. I, I get all of that. But the fact is that 11 times she's mentioned, five times, come on, give her a break. Four times maybe, maybe three. Two would be nice. Even once is enough. We get it. She is Rahab the heart. Five times. Why? Listen. God wants us to know he gets it. I've been a preacher a long, long time. I've been around religious people. Whole, whole lot. If you're not careful, the longer you know the Lord, you'll begin to think you're good. And I'm going to look you square in the eye and say, you ain't all that hot. I'm sorry. Sorry. Because I Religious people, I'm, not, I'm talking about religious people, tend to be some of the most judgmental, critical. Look at other people and judge them on whatever. God doesn't do it that way. God chose. Catch this. It wasn't, God does nothing by accident. Say that with me. God does nothing by accident. So it wasn't like he said, oh, I didn't see that coming. Wow. No, he does nothing by accident. He 
chose this family line. Ruth was a Gentile. Wait a minute, time out. How can a Messiah, how could we have a Gentile, a non-Jew, in the genealogy of the Messiah? Because God so loved, say it, the world. The world. Jews, Gentiles, harlots, messed up families. And can I tell you, people that don't like this kind of message are religious people. They're like, you know what? Religious people that oh, you preach that message, beat up these sinners, tell all the gay people this, tell all the abortion people, tell them they don't. And that just thrills the religious. They're just like, wee! Doesn't thrill the heart of God. Years ago, I had people in the church who were mad at me back in the 80s. They said, you need to preach against abortion. You need to give it to them. It's just real controversial, and you had to choose this or this. Well, obviously, I choose life. But they wanted me to preach that message and beat them up. And I said, I, I, I said listen, nobody can be at victory and have any confusion about the fact that, that I choose life, that God is the giver of life. But, but here's what is the heart of God. If I preach that message, yeah, all Christians will stand up and, and amen and shout. I said, you know what God cares about? That young lady in the back row who six weeks ago had an abortion and she's feeling tormented and beat up and messed up and Somehow, by the grace of God, she made her way into church in the back row. Oh, man. Any preacher that preaches to get the shouts of the Christian and doesn't care about the one that went astray isn't a true preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your imperfect life, imperfect family, imperfect genealogy, he gets it. Now, Rob isn't sitting there saying, oh, why are you picking on me? What, 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 do, you, what do you know? I know you're a human being. And I could say the same thing to Mike. I could say the same thing all around this room. Look at me, folks, as we're closing. God intentionally does not want a gospel that's been pasteurized and sterilized and homogenized. I, I didn't do it, but I... Next week I'm going to talk more about this and I might do it, but now it won't be a surprise. But I, I told the staff this week, I, I want to bring a beautiful nativity. Beautiful. For one thing, he wasn't born in that kind of of a setting. He was born in a cave. That's really what a manger was back in those days. It was not what we picture in Western. But, I, but, but, but because we're Western, I, I want to bring this beautiful, beautiful nativity. So if I do it next week, don't tell anybody what's going to happen. But I want to have this beautiful nativity. Oh, 
I mean, baby Jesus, Joseph, Mary, the wise guys, now the wise men. They really weren't there, by the way. That, that was two years later, but we... But, but, but you know, the, the sheep are just perfect sheep. Come on, help me. Would you, I'm closing. Help me. Everything oh, is so ideal. And I told the staff, I'm going to get some brown clay. I'm going to form some poopy. I'm going to put smelly stuff. You say you wouldn't do that. Oh, come next week and see. Listen. I'm going to do something. We just do it from time to time, but I want you all to stand if you would. I'm going to ask all of you, not just some of you, would you just slip on up here as we close? Slip on up here. I want to talk to you as we close and want to get you out of here in just a moment. He gets it. He gets it. In the Rose family with a perfect genealogy. Yeah. He gets it. Even, we got, we got a number of Jurgens. I call them the Jurgenites. Sounds so much more biblical than Jurgen, the Jurgenites. But within the Jurgenites, where's Brad at? Within the Jurgenites, the genealogy is messed up. Oh, I got family here. We know that our family messed up. But here's the thing. Listen, listen. What? The stereotypical religiosity is that because your family and you are messed up, you have issues. Anybody have issues? Anybody telling the truth? Everybody has issues. And if you don't think you have issues, oh, you got big issues. Because we know you have issues. God knows you have issues. Everybody knows you have issues but you. That's a big issue. When I said a couple moments ago that when you think you're all so good and so wonderful and you look down at others, you're not that good, you say, how dare you say that? Oh, I dare say that. Because the Bible says that. The Bible says all of our righteousness, our self-righteousness, it's like a pile of filthy, dirty, stinky rags. When we think we're so wonderful, we then have no ability to connect with other people because we judge them. Because we think we're so wonderful, we look at people, we judge them. But when, when you realize, man, I'm, I'm a messed up person from a messed up family that an amazing God has adopted me into his family in spite of me, in spite of my messed up family, I now belong to him. And if you see any good thing in me, it ain't me, it's him. 
That'll keep you humble. So then when people say, oh, you're so nice, you say, well, thank you. God bless you. But you know inside it's all about him. It's all about him. I hope you get this. I want to go one step further next week. Short message on on Christmas Eve and even a shorter message on the 5 o'clock service. But I want you to get this. You know why? You'll see. Will Minerva, you'll see. There's chance. There's hope for us. With all of our mess-ups. Within the Leitner genealogy. You say, how can you say that? Because I can say any name. Bollinger. I, I, could, I could throw out names here, Hoffmaster. I could throw out names and, and your family's messed up. You say, I already know that. You didn't have to rub it in. No, no, no. I'm not rubbing it in. What I'm saying is that God gets it. And what I'm saying is that there's hope in him. That he doesn't hold up this measuring thing and say, you know, when you get here, there's hope for you. He said, no, 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 no. Right where you are, there's hope for you. Father God, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that this message today will not only help us to know there's hope for us because you understand our mess. We invite you into that mess. We invite you into our family with all of its issues. I invite you into my life with all of my issues because you're the one who changes. Lord, there's families here that with all of the mess-ups in the genealogy, because they've been born again, they raise their children different. They raise their grandchildren different. Lord, there's generational curses that have been broken, and now generational blessings are beginning. But you start where we are. Thank you for that. Thank you for never giving up on us. And Lord, as we close this service, would you now help us? To not be judgmental, to not be critical, to not be fault finders, to realize that within this genealogy of the Messiah were some pretty messed up people, pretty messed up families. You didn't judge them. You changed them. You used them. Would you help us to give that benefit of the doubt to others change us so that we're more like you honey would you come as we speak a blessing over you today if you've come and you need prayer you need to talk to somebody maybe you've never met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior we'll have some leaders up around the altar we have some material to place in your hands that can help you I hope you got this I hope you leave today saying, Woo, I didn't know that. I read that Matthew chapter 1, 2, and I couldn't pronounce those names and had no idea that, whoa, I didn't know that that was, whoa, I didn't know. Now you know. That was in his family tree. There's hope for us. There's hope for all of us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may God restore your hope. May you recognize that he understands your mess. 
your issues? Would you quit comparing yourself with others? Because you're looking at them as if they're so lofty and wonderful and perfect and you're so messed up. No, we all need a Savior. We all need a Father. May the Lord bless you and strengthen you and encourage you. May you leave this building today and may as you look at people, may you be less judgmental and may you be more accepting. May you love people where they are, trusting that God's love can bring breakthrough and help into their life. We bless you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of Holy Spirit. May Jesus Christ reign supreme in your heart and life. In his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. can we give the Lord praise? Remember, next Sunday, 10 o'clock, shorter service, 5 o'clock candlelight service. We love you. See you in the lobby. You need prayer. You need to talk to somebody. Come on down front.